Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We are all back here, and the uh, panel is full and large, which means we have Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Good to see you, Rebecca. Good to be here, Matt. And Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert? Greetings, everyone, and happy spring. So, uh... We it's been it's been a couple weeks. Last week we had a had had some special interviews, but it's been a few weeks since we've been together. And even two weeks ago, I was in Seattle. So um, great to have everyone here. And uh, the timing is perfect because we need to debrief the spring election that we just had. And there is a lot to talk about. We may not get to everything, but what we intend to do, we, we want to start by talking a little bit about some of the successes that happened in the spring election. We obviously know, as of the recording, uh, statewide, the Supreme Court race, um, Judge Neubauer trails uh, Judge Hagedorn by around 6,000 votes. Uh, and we want to remind everyone, right, there's going to be a recount. This is going to take some time. We have a democratic process here, right? And we got to make sure uh, it's a proper count. Uh, and so that's going to play out over the next few weeks. And certainly, we'll just say it now, if there's people who want to get involved in that, you should definitely reach out and get uh, reach out to the Neubauer campaign. They're very much looking for people who want to help, uh, possibly in the recount. So uh, let's now that we've talked about that, uh, we'll talk more about the Supreme Court race and some of its implications for 2020 and more broadly on the Supreme Court. But we want to start by talking about, certainly since... You know, most of our listeners, right, we're progressives and we're folks that are really trying to change the world and build a movement here. And we think there was a lot of very exciting things that happened uh, in the spring elections in a number of local races that were actually a lot of the engine on the left. And um, Rebecca, I'm going to have you get us started. We're going to we're going to talk about Milwaukee. We're going to talk about what happened in the Milwaukee Public School Board. After that, we'll talk a bit about some of the very exciting mayor's races and also common councils, county boards, uh, where a lot of progressives uh, swept into office and new progressives. But here in Milwaukee, Rebecca, um, Milwaukee School Board, huge issue. It's been for years, right? Milwaukee is ground zero for the fight against privatization. Uh, both the long-standing voucher program and the burgeoning new sort of charter movement, uh, a new form of privatization. Major fault line, but huge victories. Working Families Party and all our allies central. Tell our listeners more about how important this was. Yeah, what happened in Milwaukee on Tuesday is now national news, uh, certainly among progressives and the left. You know, as you mentioned, Matt, this is... Milwaukee has long been a laboratory for privatization, defunding public education, dismantling the public education system here. Uh, and so what happens in the Milwaukee school board races are always incredibly important, but even more so now that we've defeated Scott Walker and elected public educator Tony Evers as our governor. And so what was really exciting on Tuesday is that we had a clean sweep. We won all of our races, we ran a slate of five very progressive, ideologically aligned pro-public education folks. Uh, four of the five were a great group of progressive women that the Working Families Party recruited to run for these seats. And they all won. I, all of them had opponents. No one was unchallenged. One beaten incumbent, 
who got you know support from the MMAC and other Scott Walker donors. Um, so these were tough races, and the candidates worked incredibly hard. Activists worked really hard. We were completely aligned with the Milwaukee Teachers Union uh, and its members who came out in all types of weather, knocking on thousands and thousands of doors. So really um, excited about what we managed to accomplish, educating voters about the issues, and you know, on the other hand, supporting some of these candidates. And so. Uh, now what we have on the nine-person Milwaukee Public School Board is eight are people who have been uh, supported and endorsed by the Working Families Party, and six of them were recruited specifically by our movement and, and groups like WFP and Citizen Action and Teachers Union and others. Yeah, so we should really look down ballot here. We'll get to Supreme Court as Matt did, but the source of power for a movement that would change our state, change our society, comes from local elections, and that's what leads to uh, state legislators on a whole farm team of potential state legislators that can take back the legislature. It's what creates a much deeper farm team for future governors, U.S. senators, et cetera, et cetera, plus local governments themselves, like Milwaukee Public School District, can do a lot. And so, and work with champions who then move up, and some won't move up, right? Some are citizen legislators who don't want to make a career of being um, in politics or live in Madison or, or work in Madison, anything like that. So this is where it, it is, and it's like the seed corn. In other words, it has immediate impact, but it's, in a way, the, the problems we've had among Democrats and left in Wisconsin is because we'd eaten the seed corn and we had a and we had a farm farm system that was basically empty, like an like a like a baseball team that doesn't have a good farm team, right? Uh, in the in the middle and late aughts, and that's changing now because of this work. Yeah, no, I, I agree that it's important to have a farm team. Um, I do think for some of these folks, we had, you know, a teacher retiree. We had uh, another candidate, Marva Herndon, who won her race by 27 votes, by the way. So very, very close race. Um, who's who's a senior citizen. And if people who know Marva, she's been this absolute incredible champion on public schools. And decades she comes to the and meetings decades. And, and she's on top of everything has no question about values. I mean, this is not someone you, I mean, you just, every time I, I've heard her in meetings, I'm like, wow. So it's just great to have her on the Amazing. board. Amazing. So, so they're not the farm team. I think they're, they're going to run for school board and this will be the last thing that they ever decide to run for. But, you know, what I see as being so radical and so exciting about what happened in these races is that this is the national tide of public education activism coming to Milwaukee. And we've had strikes across the country, whether it's in West Virginia and Arizona. We've had, um, you know, pro-public education, you know, radicals, quite frankly, running for office across the country. And what happened was certainly an upset. I mean, for us to win all five of these races, some of these candidates, one was an incumbent, one was incredibly wealthy, another was supported by, I think, every single Democratic elected official, you know, in the city. Um, these these were real upsets, and so I, I see this really as being not only about Milwaukee, but about the story of our country and what's been happening the last couple of years around public and, ed. And kudos to Wisconsin Working Families Party and what and what you did, Rebecca. You're getting credit in some of the media I've heard. I assume some of the media is probably ignoring it, but uh, you and and the teachers union, the MTEA, are are getting a lot of credit for in, in the press I I saw and heard. And if I could just say quickly, because I, I know you want to say something, Matt, but just while I'm taking my victory lap, yeah. you know, one of the things that I love. That <laughs> Run that lap. One of the things I love the most about this race and this slate of candidates is that it wasn't just the Working Families Party or the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association who endorsed them. It was all of our movement allies. So Citizen Action endorsed this full slate. Block endorsed everyone except one race where they just 
didn't get involved because they don't have members or activity there all the way in South Milwaukee, um, the south south side of the city. Um, Voses endorsed the entire slate. So all of our movement allies, we, this is rare. And this is something we want to see. We have always said we want to see more of. We were all on the same page. So thank you, for everyone, for the support. Yeah, and I just want to underscore this as uh, someone whose kids go to Milwaukee Public School. My son will be graduating from high school this year. Very excited. Knock on wood. Yeah, and... I've been involved in Milwaukee public school politics now for two decades at least, um, and we've never swept. All like, f- first of all, probably never even had f- a full slate of five people who understood the importance of public education that were really aligned that ran together like this um, in a while, and then all won. Right? It's historic. And this wasn't just people running, you know, on their own personalities, even though they all wonderful people. There was a this race was about something. It was about public schools being the bedrock of opportunity and democracy in this country. And folks are tired of the privatization, whether it's uh, the form of a voucher as we uh, overall sort of cut our teeth in the 90s or the current charter system. It's got to go. We can have choice. We can have all kinds of things within the public system, and Milwaukee public schools do. But we have got to, as progressives, stop flirting with the privatization of opportunity. We need public schools, and this race was about that. And so kudos to everyone uh, who was involved in this, because it was not only uh, a good win for us as organizations and institutions, it was a win for democracy and uh, uh, public schools and I'm going to keep le- saying that let me it just matters. say if you look back to the late 80s early 90s when the whole voucher school program was set up and charters were set up none of the promises have taken place and it, at all and you'll notice that doesn't change anything they just keep arguing for it because that's not what it's about right it wasn't about that that was about uh, snake oil sales quite frankly it's to get the money they want the money that ought to be in our public schools and undermining the one fully public system we've had in this country which every other country was jealous of 100 years ago and is emulated and a lot of them doing better than we are right now, and that's outrageous. Well, and if I could just say on the ideology of that, I know we don't have that much time left, but it's also about... What, you know, the conservative plan to shrink government to be so small you could drown it in a bathtub. And if you think that healthcare is a right and you think we should have single payer, then you should think that we should have a strong public education system right. and we That's shouldn't right. privatize it. And by the way, we've talked about this on the show, right? Like when we talk about healthcare, and we'll talk about it at the end of the show about the notion of we want to move towards an increasingly public system. And the fight that's going to come up in the state budget is about Medicaid and whether we take that money and whether we make an increasingly public system or try to privatize it. If that's a fundamental divide there, it's the same in public schools. I'll just say from Rebecca's point that it means that charter schools and voucher schools are the health insurance companies of education. Oh, there you go. On that note, (laughs) whoosh, nobody wants to be associated with them. Uh, But you want to always be associated with Citizen Action and you are listening to the Battle Dallas Guys. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We're talking about the spring elections. Uh, we spent uh, the first chunk really diving in deep on MPS because we think it's important. That's um, Milwaukee Public Schools. Yeah, for thank you, you folks for, around the state. Yes, yes, right. Not Madison or Middleton or the uh, associated M cities. Uh, we are going to move to talk, uh, hit uh, a, a couple other races, and then we we, we got to talk about the Supreme Court. 
Um, so the first thing that we really want to highlight is, in addition to, uh, is what went on in a number of mayor's races. And in particular, we want to really shout out Eric Genrick. Uh, he is a founding member of the Northeast uh, Co-op and a former state rep who, just speaking of health care, huge leader on health care, um, sponsor of the Badger Care Public Option. Um, he won his mayor's race. 57% of the vote in Green Bay. It's the first time we've had a progressive in certainly our lifetime. Did you say Citizen Action co-op member? I did. Okay. I said he was a founding member. Good, good. It's good. <laughs> Robert's listening to the intro. No, I'm just kidding. So, yes, but what's really critical, and I want to say this about Eric, and it's, it's important because Eric ran on changing the way Green Bay perceives itself and being a open, diverse and welcoming city, a city that creates opportunity for everyone, not just a select few or who's perceived as being sort of the his history, the historical residents. And, and, and that has a lot to do with race and the way Green Bay is changing. And he deserves a lot of credit for running a campaign on that and winning, winning in an area where I'm predicting, I believe, on Supreme Court uh, that uh, Hagedorn might have done better. But it shows if you're talking about these values, he was also talking about investing in our infrastructure, investing in renewable energy uh, for the city. So big win for Progressive. Um, Robert, I know you're close to Eric. Um, this, is, this is huge for Green Bay um, and trying to do new things in other areas of the state. Yeah, I don't overstate it. We're not drinking buddies or anything, I but, know, but we... <laughs> We've worked together on stuff, including the Badge Care Public Option Bill, which he and I concocted together, basically, as a concept. And he got it drafted and was the lead author. And Latanya Johnson came on board and has helped a great deal as well, the Senate sponsor. But I think I've always known Eric as someone who was both very progressive but wanting to change our state. And I think he didn't just run for mayor because he wanted the title. Mm -hmm. And so, and he's also very committed to his hometown. And so I think it's great. And I think we have had other instances of seemingly progressive people who've become mayors and haven't acted as progressively. I don't think you'll find that in Green Bay and for with Eric. And furthermore, Green Bay is not some Madison. So, of course, he's going to have to figure out how to talk Green Bay about everything that, that's needed. Oh, and I think the way he did this was talking Green Bay, but like, there's no doubt about what he was talking about. And I think it inspired people. And I think that's why he did so well. Um, in addition to Eric, um, uh, Lori Palmieri won mayor of Oshkosh. Lori is a very active progressive uh, councilwoman and knocked out a three-term incumbent um, and, you know, ran a very grassroots campaign, not a big, big spending, but, you know, Oshkosh, Fox Valley, right? These these places are changing. This is a big deal to have someone like Lori elected. Um, and then, of course, the Madison mayor's race. Uh, mayor Soglin is no more. Um, and so change is happening all over, right, uh, in these elections uh, on the ground level. And I would argue, and we're going to transfer to talking a bit about uh, we're talking about the statewide race, that a lot of these races were, what was really energizing progressives and where we saw a lot of increase in turnout. Um, also, before we go, though, I, uh, and change the topics, and, and I do want to mention some of our members uh, who got elected in uh, Eau Claire. We had a, a, a number of members elected on the city council, including nice. Laura Benjamin, um, uh, who I believe will be one of the first trans uh, uh, elected officials in the in the state. Oh, wow. Um, and 
openly, and she is awesome, and so very exciting. Uh, things continuing, Eau Claire continuing to sort of be a, a beacon of, of change and uh, real progressive ideas and a new slate of folks uh, getting elected up there. So, I was just going to say on Paul Soglin, because yes, he's yes. had this incredible career. A lot of people have gone broke predicting the end of his political career, so I'm not sure we want to do that yet, because he's lost and, and then come back. At least once, I think maybe even more than once. So yes. anyway. That was the all I wanted to say about Soglin, but yes. I Just quickly in Milwaukee, a race that I did not work on and Working Families Party did not endorse in, uh, mostly just because we had our hands full, was Danielle Shelton running for circuit court. Yep. Huge win. Um, you know, a Jewish woman of color, a public defender. Um, I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I, I, someone had told me, um, I believe that she's the first black woman elected to be a judge in Milwaukee in the last 27 years. So, you know what? I'm not sure on that number. I know she'll only she'll be the third African American woman in the state to be on uh, to serve on a circuit court. So yes, historic in nature. Um, we, huge, we, yes. huge. And you know what? What an important thing. You know, to have a public defender elected to the court. She really worked it. Um, I saw her all over the place from early on. She put a lot into this race. Um, I know that Black Leaders or Organizing for Communities was doing canvassing out there for her, and of course her state supreme court. Um, but really remarkable. And uh, you know, I have this memory of seeing her um, hunker down a coffee shop with her campaign team, and two of the three people on the team were her daughters. And yes. it was just like really powerful way she ran her race. And I, I just want to shout it out. Yep, she won overwhelmingly. Um, we also she, she's also a co-op member, and we endorsed her too. Oh, so cool. yes, I'm really glad you you brought that up. Yeah. Um, also, Tammy Bachhorst, a member, one up in Shorewood. Uh, Kate Kate Beaton in uh, Eau Claire. Um, so. Uh, oh, and uh, uh, Christina Shelton, also in Green Bay. All these board. women, Citizen yeah. Action members. No, it's it's exciting. Uh, Catherine Emanuel won re-election uh, in Eau Claire. So some really amazing uh, progressive leaders. One of the great things about the healthcare issue is that women get it better than men. <laughs> so um, we need to talk about the statewide race. All right, we got to talk about the Supreme Court race. Um, so I think some people are surprised, right? I think a lot of folks just sort of assumed that the way things were trending, Evers win, that this was going to be just sort of an easy win, right? And that somehow Judge Neubauer was going to win because Hegedorn sounded so awful, right? So conservative. So, you know, just so out of touch, right? But yet we have an election and... Um, that doesn't happen. So let's talk about what happened and why that happened. Rebecca, I want you to start us off here. Uh, your initial thoughts about what you think was sort of fundamentally hap happened in the in the Supreme Court race. Well, you know, I wasn't going to disagree at the beginning of the show, but you said there is going to be a recount. I'm not sure there's going to be a recount. There's going to be a canvas. So um, point. right now, you know what Judge Neubauer and her campaign have been saying, and something that we talk about, whether it's Wisconsin or Georgia or anywhere in the country, is that every vote should be counted. And so right now they're going through the laborious process, county by county, of making sure that we know actually how many votes were for each and candidate. And that there's no Brookfield situation, like with Kloppenberg. Do you want to explain that for folks who may not? Well, people remember it looked like we won a state Supreme Court race uh, during the whole recall process, early in the whole protest, and then there were the misplaced votes in Brookfield that appeared in Waukesha County and uh, re-elected David Prosser. And so, obviously, it makes sense to not concede right now and make sure there's not any kind of big anomaly. It would require something like that. Yeah. But it would just require one, 
I mean, if the city of Shorewood somehow misplaced some votes, those would go 80% for Neubauer. Yeah, so, you know, we'll we'll see once every vote is counted. But as um, for folks who didn't see, Judge Neubauer came out with a video. I think it was sometime yesterday, the day after Election Day. We, we tape on Thursdays here at the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. Uh, tape. <laughs> and Brian, uh, can you uh, make sure the tape is rolling? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, in, in the video... Uh, Judge Neubauer points out that this was record high turnout, and we can kind of delve into that more in a little bit. Um, a lot of people voted. I think it was 1.2 million voters, and the the margin is Judge Neubauer called it razor thin. It is quite thin. I want to temper people's expectations. You know, it, it would be a lot to overcome. We would have to see the kind of anomaly I think that Robert is describing, but you know, it is possible. So that's why it's so important that we count every vote. And you know, of course, the other side is claiming victory, saying it's over. We don't need to worry about counting every vote, but we do. This is democracy, and want to make sure that we we know it's exactly what happened. It's fortunate they're consistent, and if they had lost by this amount, they, of course, would say it was over as well, wouldn't they? <laughs> sarcasm. <laughs> Podcast sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, so, so obviously w w it'll play out in terms of whether we're going to actually have a recount or not, but let's talk about what we think actually happened, right? So you mentioned turnout was up. So let's talk about why we think turnout was up. Thoughts uh, here, Robert? Well, there's a, a school of thought, and if, of course, it comes from the pundit Mordecai Lee, it gets repeated a lot, that the blue wave did continue because Neubauer got many more votes than, uh, than Dallet did in the previous Democratic victory, but there was also a competing red wave now, and so turnout on both sides was up, and that makes Wisconsin a total toss-up. And so that was... So it wasn't, and, and I think we can get into whether votes were depressed on the, on the Democratic side, but they were, unlike in the previous election, uh, ginned up on the Republican side. So we're going to have to take a break here, uh, here at the Battleground. When we come back, we, we will definitely uh, talk, talk more about this, particularly around turnout and then implications uh, for 2020. You are listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenaction.wi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about the Supreme Court race and um, exactly what happened and the implications. Um, we want to spend some time talking about turnout. Uh, before we do, um, it is worth pointing out, right, if the results hold, conservatives will have a five to two margin on, on the court. Next year, there'll be another Supreme Court race. Justice Kelly's going to run. He's already announced he'll run again. Um, so, at best, progressives, if they were to win that election, could get to 4-3, but then there is not another Supreme Court race for two years. So, it looks like conservatives will hold the court now for at least the foreseeable future. We'll, we'll dive into that later, but let's talk about the turnout that produced this, right? So, we mentioned that turnout was up. We we've used terms like historic. I think we said it, it, it's high, but it, like, it was higher during Kloppenberg. So it's not like it wasn't like it was astronomical high, but it was definitely higher than what people expected. And I want to talk about some of the, some of the thoughts around that. I mentioned earlier we talked we started talking about these races where progressives where there was energy in the cities, right? Dane County, right? Madison turned out historic levels in terms of the margins it gave um, in this race uh, to Neubauer, even higher than Dallet. Was at the level of Kerry in 2004, which was historically high. So huge margins, largely driven, I would argue, by 
highly contested mayoral's race, right? Lots of energy, very contested local council seats, lots of stuff going on, right? Just like in Milwaukee, we talked about school board, where there were contested rates. We talked about these mayor's races, um, lots of energy. However, the other side, Robert, you mentioned the red wave. Where does the red wave come from? I'm going to argue it comes because they had a candidate that actually was a part of the base, that was a conservative, that was very clear. In fact, our whole side ran on the fact that that person was a conservative, right? And I think that there was real momentum among their base. There was energy. There was a grassroots campaign. We know some right-wing groups, and Robert, I'm going to kick it to you they to talk more field. about this, did field. And these races are about energy, and how do you get volunteers to show up, right? Because like, you don't generally have a huge paid component. So if you don't have volunteers out manning, you know, doing phone calls, doing doors, doing texting now, doing it, like stuff doesn't happen unless it's paid, right? And that stuff is nowhere near as impactful. But that requires energy from a base. They had it. Robert? Yeah, I agree. So what you're implying, which is very important, is, is that our candidate didn't, and that's right. She ran in this model, this traditional model of I'm the impartial judge and avoided any hot-button issues. And so that and that worked for Dalit, people felt like, though Dalit did signal her opposition to Trump in Dalit her ads. Dalit ran Trump in her ads, and, and there were just times when she picture, talked about it, but nonetheless. Yeah. It was a part right. of the discussion. Right. So here's the thing. Right, and I, can, I, I say this with some trepidation as a gay man. I'm very concerned uh, that the independent ads that were run on behalf of, of, of Neubauer by the Greater Wisconsin Committee backfired because they also dog-whistled the other side who's the anti-gay person without probably doing enough to gen up our side at an equal level. So I'm not, I would love to win this election on his horrible views on, on gays, but we're not quite there. We need to be recognizing. I know the polling... I know this is all poll-driven, probably found that the attacks were good, but that's not the question. The question is who will turn out and who is motivated to vote and volunteer, et cetera, not how someone would answer an opinion poll. And we continue to not understand this. And so I'm not saying don't bash him on his horrendous and ugly views on gays. I'm saying it has to be part of a broader strategy to rev up our base because it's going to help rev up their base. I heard a caller on the Sherwin Hughes show on Re Resistance Radio 1510 when pressed by Sherwin, because who was, who was they were talking about you know whether whether it was immoral to be gay or not um, about the race, he basically said that in my church we all agreed to text twenty people to go out for Judge Hagedorn, and Sherwin asked, was that just in was that did people do it in your church? He goes, oh yeah, they did a lot of churches, so the evangelicals actually used this as a rallying cry. And we didn't have a rallying cry for our side in this race, really, I don't think. At least that's the, prop that's the proposition I'd make. In addition, I think we probably put most of the money on TV. It's pretty, there's anecdotal evidence that, it, like that, what I just said about the texting program in churches, evangelical churches, right-wing churches, but also a lot of the right-wing groups put out uh, press releases about their field programs. I didn't see much of that on our side, but I saw lots and lots and lots and lots of TV ads. Yeah, we, we did have uh, activists reach out to us who were getting texted by Americans for Prosperity, trying to turn them out. I actually think not to vote, maybe to volunteer. Um, yeah. But I know that AFP was doing field, um, you know, and, and I know that they put out press releases taking credit. But we saw evidence of their field, whether it was texting or door knocking, you know, out, 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 out there. <laughs> um, listen, I think that 
I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that we should definitely take into account the national mood and national news. And I think that the Mueller report was a gift from God to Hagedorn and his campaign. And we should not understate that impact. And it really worries me when I think about 2020 and that we might have a two-term president, right? I think that there are a lot of folks on the left who think, oh, no way, Trump can get reelected. He can get reelected. And I think the impact of you know the national news cycle on the last presidential election should should be something that we continue to talk about. And I think we saw it in this race. And when you couple that with the influx of money this you know and and judge Neubauer talks about it and I think it's not unimportant right this huge influx of money in the last week or so on the right that was spent well that wasn't that wasn't spent that was spent well you know and I I, sorry go ahead yeah put out this cookie cutter the socialists are on the march what it seems to have worked with their base yeah but it worked in the in the post Mueller report release it totally worked yeah it's about a base these are I know 1.2 million sounds like a lot of people, but like that's still a small amount of people. It means a lot of folks aren't showing up, right? We know that it happens every time in these elections. So it is about getting a base out. It's why we, and we, I, I don't profess to have the answer necessarily about how to run the perfect Supreme Court candidate, but I do know the current model causes real problems for us if there isn't hot local elections about getting base excited, right? Like, it's hard to compete when you have someone on the other side who is the real deal to their base, right? And by the way, Wisconsin has a very large conservative base. It's about 30, 35%. It's almost unmovable. Any poll, no matter what they do, they're solid. And they're religious, right? Religious is embedded in there. So, like, this hit all of that. And and those folks got out, and, and, and there were a lot more volunteering. And I think those those networks and those personal touches, we know they matter. It's why we spend a lot of time yeah. building networks, RVP program, you know, whatever you want to call them, right? It's to get to people. So we have got to find a way to have candidates run that somehow can fit within what they believe to be this nonpartisan, independent, whatever, that can actually articulate a vision and a message that fires up people who maybe normally don't show up, right? So that when there isn't a Supreme Court race, that there can be something that excites not just, it's not about will this person who's unengaged go vote, will somebody who is energized by their vision get and volunteer and go push those other people to go vote, right? Those are how you make these, especially in really close razor-thin states like Wisconsin. So, Senator Ron Johnson was allegedly the point person on all of this. I don't know if he was, at least the face person on all this. He said that they showed that ground-up engagement with conservatives who are angry about uh, the attacks in the race and the national number of priorities worked, and this is the recipe for success. Meanwhile, and that we have to energize and rely on the grassroots to win, which is what you're worried about, that they'll, they, can, they can replicate this in 2020. Meanwhile, Joe Sapecki, a well-known communications flack, nice guy, said that it's another wake-up call that every single election here is going to be highly competitive. Who need to be woken up exactly, I'm wondering? I wonder if Joe could tell us who was asleep. But anyway. Well, uh, you know, let me say something about... Let me repeat something that Angela Lang, who's the executive director of Black Leaders Organizing for Community, said yesterday, specifically in regards to, uh, you know, this increased turnout. And I think we had an extra 200,000 people voted who we didn't expect over last year. 40,000 came out for Democrats. 160,000 came out for Republicans, mostly in the Milwaukee media market. In the Wow County is Racine Kenosha in the suburbs of Milwaukee. 
Um, and what Angela said, and I, I believe that this is true, is that one of the things that we should take away from this is that late money works for their side. It does not work for our side. That we point. have to be doing year-round organizing. And we need to be building trust with our community. So I take your point, Matt, yeah. that like having a candidate who's of the base yes. is helpful. But also we need to be communicating constantly and putting those resources in over the long haul. Um, because we don't have the luxury of like a Mueller report, let's just flood the airwaves and that's going to rev people out and bring them out in a way that normally they wouldn't. And so I, I think that that's a point worth repeating. And I hope that that's something that folks are talking about, whether it's in the context of the DPW chairs race or or anything else. For that, you'd need a shared agenda as to what progressives think the Supreme Court should do. And it's absent other than don't just uh, rubber stamp Walker. That's about that seems to be about the agenda. Right. Uh, so that's the situation. By the way, they compared repeatedly the attacks on Hagedon to the attacks on Brett Kavanaugh. Yes, and that revved up their base even yes. more. Yeah. Kavanaugh was a huge factor in this race, yeah. Okay, uh, well, I just think it's important that when we're talking about them, we're talking about their base, right? Like, And there was none of that energy on our side, except for the races we talked about earlier, right? These local races that were really revving up and were about real issues, about electing progressives, new visions, right? Um, so with that, though, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming ahead. We've got a state budget uh, fight about ready to start, Joint Finance Committee, and a number of other things. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we jump into uh, talking about the state budget, which is sitting right in front of us, uh, Rebecca, last thoughts on the importance of local races. Well, you know, you started out the Supreme Court conversation by alluding to a possible complacency, thinking that for sure we were going to win. And I, you know, I, I want to, every vote should be counted. Let's see what happens. I think that the attacks and the money and the national news and all of that really aligned against us. And I think, you know, we increased the vote for Lisa over, uh, you know, Judge Dallet. And there's a lot that was good about what was done. So I don't want to do, um, I don't want to beat anybody up. But I just do want to speak about my personal experience running a political organization, a progressive political organization in this last cycle, where everybody knew, the Democratic Party of, in Madison knew, the Democratic Party locally knew, all of these other actors knew that I was running a slate of five candidates, one of them citywide in the city of Milwaukee. And what I saw is that the four local candidates really drove turnout for the citywide candidate. And all five of these, you know, MPS candidates, Milwaukee Public School candidates, helped drive turnout for the state. Absolutely. And so if we want to increase our share of the vote and get even more people out, you know, I never even got, forget like funding, you know, or forget funding, I never got um, a sense of urgency mm -hmm. from anybody. No one from DPW called me and said, hey, we really need you to help Lisa. What are you doing for Lisa? You know, and, and there are lots of people who didn't do that. I never got a sense of urgency, never got funding. Um, I asked for late, I got some late, but like, you know, that's something that like, I want to see done differently for the next cycle. And we're going to have a new party chair. And I just want to see things done differently, even if it's not resources, even just the tone and tenor yeah. of like how we're engaging with the electorate and groups like ours. That, that is not unimportant. Like we've got to inject some urgency into everything we do. I think we totally agree. Let us quickly change topics 
Um, Robert, we have a state budget sitting right in front of us. We record. It's uh, Thursday. Tomorrow is the first joint finance public hearing. Public the hearing. agency briefing the started agency. Wednesday. Yep. Started Wednesday, and uh, it was going to be my lead-in. Um, we got a taste. This is mm-hmm. actually a very good transition from the spring election. And we got a taste of where the Republicans in the uh, legislature are going to be, and that is a, an awful place. Um, they are even is so bold as to declare somehow that Judge Hagerdorn's victory was a repudiation of Evers' budget, which is absurd, but it just shows you sort of where we're at in the state of play. But we're we're about to head into joint finance hearings, getting the public out. Robert, set the stage. Well, they came out in the health care agency briefing taking swings at Badger Care expansion. Ooh, what a surprise. Uh, even though it's incredibly popular. And, incre- you know, health care is the issue that drove Scott Walker into temporary retirement. And so, well, this this is, is like battle on, right? They're running out every kind of right-wing talking point on their high horse, talking about how we won't pay, Badger doesn't pay the hospitals enough. Uh, by the way, uh, just news alert on this, you're not serious about health care costs if we don't look at health care costs. And the majority of the cost actually is not pharmaceutical companies as outrageous as those are, is not health insurance companies as outrageous as those are, it's hospitals, okay? And, uh, and so... We really, you, you, if you just take their talking points, and by the way, they're, they're playing both sides, the hospitals, so you won't find them with press releases attacking expansion. They just want to make sure they keep getting their money one way or another, unfortunately, because they're structured as charitable institutions, allegedly. Uh, but be that as it may, that, that, you know, starting in Janesville, so when folks hear this, it'll be underway. That'll be the first public hearing, and we will be there with citizens across the state uh, with bells and whistles on talking about badger care expansion, talking about the fact that we have a crisis in long-term care where people can't get home care workers because they're paid so little, people, not enough people will do the job. So to push for a $15 minimum wage for home care workers. And, uh, and in addition, to go after, we'll talk about the lawsuit. Uh, yes, we successfully got the Texas lawsuit, right? But the Texas lawsuit is still a real threat to health care for 20 million people. And the next thing is we need to be in the lawsuit on the right side of it. So, Robert, can you remind our listeners, since this kind of comes up quick usually, but the Joint Finance Committee, so just l- let people know how this process goes again, like wh- what's what's up for the next month, because we'll have a series of what, I believe four hearings? We'll have four hearings. We'll go from Janesville to Milwaukee to Green Bay to River Falls, all the way around, River Falls to Green Bay. There you go. And so, and they will just listen and take hours and hours of testimony and then uh, pretend they're influenced by it, and then do what they're going to do based on political calculation. So they'll watch to the extent that lots of people turn out and it could threaten them politically. Uh, don't be fooled into thinking they listen to arguments. And for folks who want details, we'll have a link on our webpage to the joint finance hearings. If you want to get involved, um, you can uh, RSVP. We, we also will have be at T-shirts everyone. for I folks will who care about Badger Care and other issues. I will personally be at everyone. And you can come join us and coordinate in, 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 in being a good citizen. Did y'all hear that? You can come see Robert. Come harass Robert at Joint Finance Committee hearings. We'll drag Matt to He'll some hold at court. some point. Yeah. Oh, I've t- I've been to so many Joint Finance Committee hearings. Yeah. I actually enjoy these. You know, you know who you need to be by, and I don't know if he still covers them, but J.R. Ross. 
<laughs> from Wiss Politics. Mm-hmm. You got to be by the person from Wiss Politics because they're connected to everything and know, and everyone's running to them. So that's my advice. Uh, who is ever there from Wiss Politics? They seem to have connections to everybody. By so. the way, you know <laughs> they're worried about pre-existing conditions and the Texas, the, the 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 horrible Texas lawsuit because. When the judge actually, a federal judge allowed Wisconsin because of that temporary lame duck uh, victory to pull out. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened. Rebecca or Matt, you can weigh in. Uh, there was no Republican leader that was available for comment on the, uh, uh, our, our Wisconsin's exit from the Texas lawsuit. Well, no one to read talking points even. <laughs> so, folks... We really want to encourage you to get involved in this process. And if you can't make any one of the Joint Finance Committee hearings, it's not, it, it's not the end of the world, right? You can submit testimony. There, there are links, and we'll, we'll get those up as we go through, uh, where you can actually submit your own testimony if you can't be there in person. We also think it's really important now that you, you put in a wave of calls to your state legislators, remind them about what your priorities are in the budget, um, we, of course, think you know Badger Care is critical. If we don't get that federal Medicaid money, it's really hard to pay for a lot of other things we need. It is the biggest advance we can make, uh, it, but with divided government. In other words, it's hard to imagine Tony Evers signing off on a budget that doesn't include it. And if it does happen, so it's unlike everything else that the Republicans can just kill, and, uh, and the finan- fiscal consequences, the way it's tied up to the whole budget is also critical. But it would be the biggest advance in health justice. It would provide affordable health care to 83,000 more people. Most of them, very hardworking people, are in jobs that don't provide good health care. Home care workers, child care workers, retail workers, uh, by no fault of their own and damaging themselves and their families. It would also be the greatest strike we could make in the next two years for racial equity because people of color are much more likely to have the jobs that provide health benefits. People should know the federal government gives a huge tax advantage. Right? Don't. Uh, so middle-class folks who think, I got my job and I earned my health care, you're getting often a tax subsidy bigger than what Badgerker costs or in that range, just so you know. You're reminding me I have to pay my taxes as I listen yeah, to Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> hey, folks, taxes are Yikes. due. Make sure you pay. I submitted mine. Um, before we go, um, I want to take a point of privilege here as the host. Um, Rebecca's going to be going on vacation she won't be with us for the next month or so. She's taking a well-deserved vacation. But I want to publicly thank her for everything she's done, uh, not only to help build the Working Families Party, but to come on this podcast every week, <laughs> and talk with us, and share your brilliance, right, and your strategic mind. Um, we really appreciate it. But specifically, I know we talked about the MPS elections, it was historic, and you all were overworked and did a ton of stuff with very little resources and had a historic end, end results. And so I appreciate it as someone who not only has kids in the district, has been involved in this fight forever, but I see this very on broad terms. We're in a large fight around public versus private 
everything, but education is critical. And, and having that win and doing it in the way what we built, I thank you. And I thank you because I know you, you left it all out on the field, so to speak, and, and, and that's exhausting. And that's why you need a month off. And we got to find better ways to, 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 to provide uh, humane work environments. But I thank you so much for everything you've done for the movement uh, and for the Working Families Party. And we're going to miss you over the next month. Yeah, this, is, um, this week is my two-year anniversary in this job, by the way. Um, oh, it's been that long. Wow. I know. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I'm going to take a vacation. As Christine Newman-Ortiz from VOSA says, the struggle is permanent. Yeah. So we got to yeah, yeah, yeah. take a break. But um, yeah, you know, uh, I had um, Aaron Shapiro and Priscilla Bort. Yes. Aaron from Working Families Party, Priscilla Bort, who was a campaign manager for all five campaigns, worked really hard. Um, and we couldn't have won without them. And that's especially true when I was out for a family emergency towards the end for several weeks. So um, Aaron is really brilliant. I learned a lot from him. And Priscilla is really, really talented. And the sky's the limit for her. So they, they made it happen. Yeah, shout out to both of them, too. Um, fantastic. Everyone involved. Um, so with that, though, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Um, I know it was a bit of a mixed week, but uh, folks, keep your head up. Let's stay focused. Why they call it a battleground. That's <laughs> right. And with that, we'll see you next week. Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Yeah.